Skin and Sass, the podcast talking all things skin with a side of sass. Proudly brought to you by KGA Body. Hello, everyone. My name is Andy Paulson, and I'm here with the beautiful Mrs. Kelly George from Kelly George Aesthetics. Say hi, Kelly. Hello, hello. And if you can believe it, we are already at episode five of Skin and Sass. Uh, This episode is all about injectables. So injectables then and now and what's changed over the last 20 years. And not only do we have an amazing topic for today, we have an incredible speaker who we are very fortunate to have with us, um, the wonderful Leslie Fletcher from Injectability Clinic in California. And she is joining us all the way from the US, our very first international speaker. Thank you so much for joining us, Leslie. Thank you for having me. Ah, it's wonderful for, to have our first international guest and to have what a cracking guest. Leslie is a highly respected aesthetic nurse injector. She's been injecting since 2001, so almost 20 years. It's incredible. She's worked with world-renowned celebrity dermatologists and plastic surgeons, and she uses full range of Botox, Dysport, Juvederm, Restylane, um, and pioneers innovative techniques in using these products Uh, she's got a very interesting history Um, she you know looking at her website uh, was absolutely fascinated to to learn how you came into this area into aesthetics from being a seamstress and how that really inspired your approach to facial aesthetics Um, so we we, will talk about that in a bit more detail Um, but yeah for now I suppose Kelly um it would be really interesting to hear from you. Obviously, you were um, the one that suggested getting Leslie on today, and I hadn't heard of, of Leslie. I mean, I've been at the industry for a while, but when I looked at your Instagram and your website, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Some of the stuff that you're doing with these cutting edge, like the inventions that you've come up with for using the products are really fascinating. So I can't wait to talk about that. But maybe firstly, Kelly, could you... Um, talk us through, I guess, where you first met Leslie and, and kind of what, what attracted you to her approach to aesthetics and injectables. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know Leslie is very, it's, it's actually a really cool story. So I was the judge for the My Face, My Body Awards for America, uh, not last year, the year before. And the way that that works is you get sent the link and you you basically just need to go through all these different clinics and, and rate them and, and give them a score. And so Injectability Clinic was, I think, in a couple of categories that I had to judge. And when I was judging it, I just, honestly, Leslie was a standout. I some of the other ones I was like, oh, yeah, okay, they're okay. They're kind of doing a cool thing here or a cool thing there. But with Leslie, it was 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. And I honestly didn't know her prior to that. This was not just some sort of back love story. It was just a first time, <laughs> first impressions. I was like, wow. It was love I, at first sight, though. It was <laughs> love at first sight. So I judged and, of course, gave her 10 out of 10 for everything. And then I was actually asked to present at those awards in L.A., which was really really cool so I went over there I was at the gala night she of course took home I think everything that she was in the category for obviously because she is she should have won everything and I was glad she did and all night I was sort of saying I have to go and meet her I have to go and meet her I really want to meet her and so right at the end of the night we were out the front of the hotel we were waiting for our cars to come pick us up and I was like there she is dressed in blue of course 
true to brand, true to brand. And I went over and I said, oh gosh, Leslie, thinking that she had no idea who I was. But the year prior, she had actually judged the Australian Awards and already knew who I was and kind of had that similar, oh yeah, no, I thought you were great as well. Because I think the reason we were both drawn to each other is because we have very similar philosophies and our the way we we sort of engage with our patients and our audience and our staff members even was, was very, very similar. So that was really, really cool. And then uh, fast forward a year and I was heading to America for a month for my birthday last year and she actually reached out to me and said, oh, would you like to come and spend some time in my clinic for the day? And I was like, yes, oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, last year I actually had the pleasure of going and spending a whole day at her clinic and what I loved was that it's not just what you see on Instagram. What you know, the things she talks about to the wider audience is exactly how she is in her clinic. It's how she treats her patients. It's how she treats her team. They have that beautiful family feel that I, I, I guess I felt like I was in my own clinic, except that it was blue and not pink. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, she is the branding queen. This woman, I was already impressed by her branding, but then I walked in and. You could not take a photo in her clinic without getting her logo, her coloring, her, you know, something to do with her branding, which is really, really cool. So I think, Leslie, um, before we get started and go into everything else, I really would like to know from a branding point of view, like what stage of your business journey uh, that you decided that you were going to be the branding queen? Was it a conscious thought or was it something that just evolved over time? Yeah, it's funny. You know, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm wearing pink for you today. Yes! Oh, on just for you, Kelly. Um, yeah, I didn't set out for this, honestly. It's so weird. When I read that question, I thought, gosh, that's, that's really interesting. But I think I just have a definitive view of what I wanted, and I, it just kind of, like, kept going. And so um, when you – you don't really realize how far apart you are from the norm until you start going into other clinics, which I – do spend a lot of my time going into other clinics because I'm a trainer. So I spend, I usually see about 100, 150 different clinics a year. And when you see kind of that that isn't the case in all of them, then you it sort of made the reality to me that like, oh, I guess I do know a thing or two about branding. Like it really wasn't anything that I thought I, you know, I didn't set out for it, to be honest. Um, it just... I knew what I wanted. I have a definitive design. And I think it goes back to that whole seamstress thing. I had a, a clothing company that I developed early on. Um, I did interior design. So design to me is a natural thing. And I just kind of took it and went with it with the clinic. And I think it makes my decision easier. Like, you know, you go out to buy something, you're like, well, I don't need to make a decision. I need to get blue. I need to, you know, I need to get blue and white. Or, you know, it just, it makes life a lot easier. And honestly, it, I feel like the patients really, it resonates with them because they feel that confidence in me and in the brand. I'm not all over the place. Sometimes I go into these clinics and they're like, you know, one room is one thing and the other is another. And then there's one that's like not even related. And you just, it's like kind of confusing and you just feel disheveled. And you want to walk into a clinic and feel like whoever has control over your face and the way it's going to look in about 10 minutes has a really good sense of design and a good like organizational skills and all of that stuff. And I just, I think all of that sort of lends to that confidence that the patient um, gleans from walking in the office. So I'm a huge proponent of branding an office because I, I know it affects sales too and patient's confidence. 
That's really interesting, Leslie. Thank you. And I think that it's so true from the point of view of design and how important the art of injectables is, as well as the science. And I think you and Kelly share that um, in terms of like, a, you know, obviously a strength from a business point of view as well, that you're able to combine the clinical expertise with that aesthetic and the brand and like you say having like a really polished slick consistent brand how to what extent do you think that that has helped um your success from from a business point of view you think that's that's been the design and the branding has been an integral part of your success Absolutely. A hundred percent. From the patient's perspective, because we do hear it probably two, three times a day, like who designed this place? And then my assistant will say, well, the person who's designing your face designed this place. And then you can just see it on their face that like, oh, okay. Like I'm not going to question her anymore because clearly she knows what she's doing. She's got a a vision. You know, you you really need to be that visionary. And, um, but then on the flip side, so I'm, I'm the designer, but I'm not very good at like keeping things meticulous. So my husband happens to be very meticulous. So every screw is like straight up and down and there's, he comes in and paints the floorboards like every, I don't know, three months or something. It's like really crisp. (laughs) And so, but so then we get comments, like, I just like, even after COVID, you know, people, people were like, I I haven't gone anywhere, but I felt totally safe coming here because I know how clean this place is. You could eat off the floor. And so, you know, it's little things like that, that you don't think really could make or break or be an effect to somebody, but it actually is. I mean, you just, when you think about injectability, you think about a clean, meticulous, uh, strategic design. And, and to me, if, if anyone's worried about the injectable side, um, that is clearly kind of taken away from the moment they walk through the door and they're like, Hmm, I guess, you know, I should feel pretty comfortable. Um, so I think it's confidence building. Absolutely. I I completely agree, Leslie. I mean, what about you, Kelly? Would you agree with that? Do you find the same thing in your clinic? Definitely. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I mean, it's all about aesthetics. That's kind of what our industry is called. So if you've got an eye for what looks nice and clean and tidy and, like you say, meticulous, they do have confidence coming in. And and in Australia, and I don't know if you've got this in um, America, Leslie, but people can be injecting in the back room of a hairdresser's or, a, you know, like it's pretty, it can get pretty dodgy. So if you've got this beautiful big environment that has been well thought out purely for what we do here, I think that's why you can then attract those really reputable clients because you've got a, this amazing reputation. But I think also for me, my branding is, so the pink obviously is pink and I love pink, but I think the pink represents my philosophy. So, you know, they know what my philosophy is. They know how I treat faces and that I'm a natural results advocate and that I'm science, not marketing, even though technically it is marketing, which is funny, but (laughs) you know, I think they see the pink, they can align it with my philosophy and it just sort of resonates time and time again when they see that consistent messaging on social media and not just for the clinic, but all the other business ventures. So, you know, with the product line and with the skin and SAS now, even, you know, everything kind of ties in together in its own little way. And I think that that's, that is important. Like when you say, oh, it is marketing. Yes, it's marketing, but it's marketing with substance behind it. It's marketing backed up by science. I think marketing alone is not going to dictate success in this industry. Well, no, and even just in this day and age, I mean, consumers are smarter these days. They don't watch an ad and just trust the ad. They, they want substance. They want consistency. They want honesty, I think. 
I mean, and, and I will say yeah. too, just to add on to that, I don't think any one thing is going to do it in this field because it is such number one, it's competitive, but number two, it's, it's very unique. I mean, the, the patients have the right to choose their provider. So if you're only good at one or even two things, it doesn't automatically mean you're going to be a success. You almost have to have the whole package to be an international or national success or whatever you want to call it. I mean, you've got to have personality. You've got to have charm. You've got to have nurturing side. You've got to be scientific, but you also have to be that girlfriend and you've got to be gingerly when you talk to these women because they're insecure. And then you've got to, I mean, there's just so many balls in the air and you really just have to be able to be all things to all people in order to succeed. And the branding and the business acumen, that's like, that comes with that as well. But if you were only good at one or two of those you're not going to be a success. It's just way too hard. There's way too many things to think about in this field. Um, it's just, it's, it's honestly the hardest industry or field that I've ever worked in. Um, just because you're dealing with people and you're dealing with women who are, um, on a general level, you know, looking and searching to feel better about themselves. Right. And that's our Mm. job to make them feel better, um, and not feel like they paid too much for it. So it's very challenging, um, yeah. but I mean, thankfully, thankfully we're, we're doing a good job at it. And I think, you know, if you're, if oh, your heart yeah. is there, your heart is there for these women and the authenticity, um, and men, I should say, but the authenticity comes through, I think, to these women. And that's, that's another thing. I mean, you've got to be authentic. There's so many, there's so much fake in this field that, um, mm-hmm. if you're authentic, you're going to stand out. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that that is uh, it, it's so true and I know anytime I walk through the door of say KGA the clinic you just feel like you're walking like into your, your you know obviously we're friends but it's you feel part of their family and I'm sure that your patients feel the same way it's kind of like coming home you know it's you feel like taken care of and and listened to <laughs> I mean, it would be interesting to find out what the average time that a patient spends in an office in like an average office compared to what they spend at my office and probably at yours too, Kelly. Like, I mean, they're there sometimes hours, like they're, we have food and like they're there and it is, it's, I don't think they want to leave. Like I feel like they, no, it's, why would you want to leave? I've seen the photos of your clinic. I wouldn't want to leave. <laughs> and, you know, that's actually been one of the hardest parts about COVID because we've got to control the flow of patients through here now. Wow. And a lot of people love to sit out there. You know, I'd be out there going, come on, I'm trying to take you through to the room, but they're out there having this conversation and catching up for the day. And because obviously we're a bit of a small town too, so people know everybody. But now I, we're taking them straight through to the room and then the next room. And it it that has been, I guess, a disappointing part I mean amongst other things, don't get me wrong, that's not the only thing that's disappointing about COVID, but uh, just that that sort of communal family time in the waiting room has kind of been stripped away for a little while. Mm, I know. Oh, well, look, Leslie, you know, you've been in the industry for nearly 20 years. Can you tell us a bit about, we touched on this earlier with your background in fashion and design. Um, how did you end up in aesthetic nursing? How did you transition into it? You know, I actually didn't know it existed. So the only thing that I knew about was plastic surgery nursing. Um, and and even aesthetic nursing was relatively new um, in 2000. And so Botox hadn't even been approved here in the U.S. Uh, we had collagen and lasers. So 
I really did not even know it was a thing. And then when I found out from a friend of mine who I went to nursing school with, and we actually did do some design together, um, she, she told me about it. And she was like, just so you know, there is a nursing job that actually combines design and nursing. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And so, yeah, so she called me and um, the rest was history. She's like, this is going to be perfect for you. And it was. And I haven't looked back once. That's so cool. That's amazing. And Kelly, you've been injecting now for how many years? Yes. Well, look, I've been nearly seven years now, but in the industry for about 15. And what's interesting is I think even in that seven years, so much has changed. Um, but for you, Leslie, like, as you just said, you didn't even have anti-wrinkle injections back then. But, but yeah, no, so I'd look, I'd really be interested to know like what you did back then that you just would never do now in terms of how that's, how our industry has evolved in the last 18, 20 years. I mean, back in the day, you know, before before Botox was approved and before fillers. Um, I mean, you know, we were trained by the reps. We were, there was no science behind it. It was just kind of like, oh, here's the product and here's how you do it. There's no anatomy, no facial, um, just training as far as like the muscles and the ligaments, any of that kind of stuff. So we really just, we truly did wing it. And I, I hate admitting that right now. It was very much trial and error. Um, not a lot of errors though, which, which just leads me to the point that the potential for side effects is actually pretty low with this, this field of medicine compared to like other, you know, you don't want to trial and error your certain types of heart medications and such. (laughs) (laughs) Cause like, can you imagine? I'll just chop this bit here. See what happens. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, the worst thing I had a ton of like AEs and complications personally on myself because I was like, oh, I'll try Botox here. I'll try Botox there. I have seasons of pictures with my smile crooked and my brows all wonky (laughs) and everything. But, you know, the worst that happens is it wears off and you learn from it. So it was all just kind of a learning experience because nobody knew what they were doing, literally. Um, And you would just grasp your hands on any articles you could find out of Canada or anywhere else where people were even months ahead. It was like light years. It was just a really cool time to be involved kind of at the inception of a field that didn't even exist, you know, months earlier. So um, I guess, you know, that was really interesting. But as we sort of added on the fillers and and things like that around the face, there were areas on the face that we used to inject that I don't inject anymore now that we know more mm-hmm. about like the potential for blindness and those types of things that, you know, it's not worth the risk to do like a nose or a glabella area with filler where I used to do that um, until we got a got more more involved in the anatomy and the potential AEs, then it was kind of like, you know what, maybe we'll just hold back on that a little bit and, and leave that to the surgeons. So, so that would be one area I stopped doing because of that. Okay. And I, I think Kelly, you're, you're similar with that. You, you, you avoid noses. That's oh, correct. Yeah. yeah. I'd like, I like to sleep at night. So I, I'm just not, <laughs> I'm not going down that path, but also, um, yeah, even I was doing sort of glabellas, which are the frown areas with filler, what five six years ago and I don't I don't do that anymore there's other ways that we can help yeah. and treat that that area and like you say if someone comes to me and they really really do want their nose I, I send them to a surgeon too I'm just like look go and chat to them even if you do decide to have filler with that surgeon you, you're in you're in a surgeon's hand who's pulled the skin off looked at you know knows more than I know basically so I'm not mm. afraid to admit that and send them somewhere that they can take yeah. that risk yeah 
And that's interesting. I think it shows how much, as you say, these products in this area has evolved over time. Um, and obviously, Leslie, you know, part of what you're known for is your um, pioneering and inventiveness in using the products. You've experimented and found you can use Botox in, you know, places that people haven't thought about using it before. As you say, you used yourself a bit of a guinea pig. Um, what's your favourite Botox treatment area that you're now regularly doing that maybe you hadn't really thought of, say, back in the day when you started? Um, well, that's actually an interesting story. So my favourite area to treat now um, is the nose with Botox. But hmm. that literally came out of, like, desperation for my own nose. Like, I hated my nose. I had tried filler in it before. This was, like, way long, like, 2002, 2003. Um, and filler looked better, but, you know, I just – it wasn't cutting it for me um, to thin it. And so talk about being a guinea pig. I, I was like, I have two tools, filler and Botox. Well, I've tried the filler. Let's try the Botox. I had no clue as far as like what muscles, if there was any muscles in the nose or, you know, what I, what I was doing. I just thought I've got these two things and what's going to hurt. And I put it in the very first time without numbing cream because I didn't think it would hurt, which was stupid because it does <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Um, but I didn't even have an idea on a dose or anything. I just kind of threw it in and, um, I'm ashamed to admit it, but it really was the birth of what I call nasal talks now. And I, I'm shrinking yeah. noses like left and right now. People who are ready to go in for rhinoplasty, who've always hated their nose, but don't want a big, big change. They just want it subtle. Um, they're coming to me for the nose and, and it's like really life changing for some of these people and it's very safe. So, um, to me, it's hugely revolutionary and, um, I love it. I can't live without it. I've been doing my nose since 2003. I have pictures of myself in 2003 that are unrecognizable. My nose has completely changed shape. Wow. Well, we might need we might need to talk units and injection area later. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, how, but maybe the the anatomy of the nose. How does that work? Like having so Botox is a muscle relaxant. So just talk me through how. So you're relaxing muscles in the nose. Is that correct? There are two ways. There's two mechanisms actions. I mean, there is the the dilator muscle of the nose, which has been published before. Um, as far as like the active flare when people are kind of anxious or they're, you know, mad, you know, they're, they're flaring and it, and it looks kind of like, you know, like a horse or something would flare yes. open and close. It's a little bit dramatic, but we're on, we're on, uh, not on camera. So I've got to make this really um, interesting with my words. So think of a horse's <laughs> nostrils flaring. So you can reduce the flare with a small amount of units, but it's not going to change the shape of the nose almost permanently over time. Um, but if you increase the units and then you touch other areas of the skin and kind of compress the skin on top of the um, nose, the skin envelope becomes more compressed and the whole thing looks smaller, leaner, um, and just just tidier, really. The whole thing looks smaller. So, so yeah, oh there's gosh. muscles. It sounds too. amazing. It's pretty fun. <laughs> and even like bumps and lumps, you can smooth that out with Botox. It's pretty incredible. And you know how risky filler is in the nose. So this way, mm -hmm. we can really work around yeah. some of these things that we might have had to refer out before. Now we can do it with our with our nasal talks. That's, that's incredible, um, Leslie. I, I can't wait to hear more about that. Um, but I guess we I can, I can experiment on you if you want, Andy. Oh, I'm there. <laughs> I'm booking my flight tomorrow. <laughs> 
And so what are you finding that, um, so obviously noses are a big thing for your clients. Um, what else are people asking for at the moment? I mean, you're, you're based in LA, so, um, but I know that you are a natural results advocate like Kelly. So is, has there been a shift in what people are asking for? Are you getting Kardashian type requests or are people still wanting that natural look? Our clientele tends to be, mine, tends to be a little bit older. So we're not getting a whole lot of the um, Kardashian questions and we're sort of more um, south of, of LA and Beverly Hills and all of that. So uh, we're more a little more conservative as far as our clientele. But that being said, the millennials, the younger girls, they come in and they've got, I mean, the Instagram has really revolutionized what the patients are asking for. It's like over the top. They have a really good idea of what they want down to the amount of MLs or 0.2 MLs in each section of the lip. It's pretty segmented. Um, so they're, they're very much um, in touch with what they want and want to be part of that design process. But I will tell you a little secret. Sometimes when I feel like people don't need anymore or young girls are like kind of to the point where those lips are going to burst and it's unsafe, um, instead of turning them away completely because I feel like they're just going to find some other person that's going to do it unsafe, I will treat them, but I'm going to treat kind of around the lip and, and sort of... Um, gingerly let them know that this is going to support their lip in a better way and it will actually look uh, it'll look fuller which is all they need to hear and then everything else after that doesn't matter but what I want is that it will look more natural on their face you want them to be a part of that design process but you also have to do things safe and ethical as well. I mean, you don't want to mm -hmm. just take their money just because you could shove some more in their lip and they might be happy, but it wouldn't look great. And, um, it might not even be safe. And so there's a better way to utilize that, that dollar and, and to make it a prettier outcome. So. I love that philosophy. I love that approach. So what about you, Kelly? I know that you've told me stories around 18-year-olds coming in with their birthday money, wanting their lips done. Obviously, ethics are a big consideration. What other trends are you seeing in clinic and how do you approach that? Yeah, look, I, I always hope that the trend is moving towards a more natural look. But then, as Leslie mentioned, social media is such a huge driver these days. It's it's It must be, it, you genuinely must be really hard for young women and even men these days just seeing these faces that have been enhanced absolutely but then they've also gone that extra step where they've used facetune and photoshop and they are seeing genuinely unrealistic faces out there so I think so much of our job is about setting expectations helping guide them uh, very much like Leslie I quite often will give them little bits of what they want, but kind of steer them in a different direction. Um, but the other thing is, I guess the cool thing about our industry and the cool thing about being even a woman in 2020 is that you can choose to have what you want. So I do like to help them achieve what they want, but with, but with my knowledge and my expertise and my experience in what will actually suit their face. Because if they bring a picture of Kim Kardashian and they do not have even remotely the same bone structure or, and there's no possibility of being able to create that for them. You've got to talk them through what's realistic and how we can enhance what they've got, but for their own face. Mm. I look, I can verify that. I'm constantly saying to Kelly, just put a bit more in my lips. She's like, no, you've got enough. <laughs> it's very mean to me. And do you like, so aside from saying no to me, Kelly, do you, do you say no often? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, look, I say no when it's in the patient's best interest. Um, and you know what? Sometimes there is that ethical line that has to be considered because we definitely see a bit of body dysmorphia or face dysmorphia. Is there an actual word for it these days? I don't know. There might be. But, yeah, so we need to be careful about what that patient's motives are. You know, why are they actually here? Is there something deeper going on sometimes? And I'm talking about the 18, 19, very young girls. Uh, sometimes they're here, their boyfriends have brought them in and, you know, they really don't look like they want to be here, but the, the boys sitting there next to them going, I love big lips. And, mm. you know, you've got to really tread carefully over that line, I think. So how do you, so, okay, body dysmorphia, but for the face, is that a thing, Leslie? How do you deal with that with patients? Here's the thing, actually. I'm publishing a paper on it in the next uh, couple Ooh, of weeks, oh. so that'll be fun. It's already been in submission process, and it's um, it's a, supported by Allergan, a grant, but I, I feel very familiar with this. I We screened for this, and I think very few, in fact, less than 1% of offices are screening for body dysmorphia. So we have a two-part cryptic screening, which is what my paper's on. The first part is cryptic because we feel like people would be able to kind of weed through the results of like kind of fake it to say they passed because they know we're screening for it. So we have a two part, which is like the first part is sort of written in a way where there's no way they're going to know they're going to be screened. So, um, and it helps open that discussion of like, what are your motives? Why are you here? You know, it's okay to want to feel a little bit better to do something to feel better about yourself. But if there's something broken on the inside, anything I do, anything and everything I do on the outside isn't going to affect that. So we sit and we talk about, you know, just goals and, and psychological motivators and stuff. And I, and that takes time. And a lot of offices will not take the time to do that because it is a lengthy process. But I mean, it's estimated between 15 and 17% of people coming into aesthetic offices have body dysmorphia. And that is the mm. official name for it. It's different from eating disorders. That's under a completely different category in the DSM-5. Um, it's its own category. It falls under the OCD category um, as well as the more of anxiety as well. So it's it's a it's a prevalent thing, and I think it's under um, underreported because patients aren't aware they have it, and practitioners aren't screening for it. And then um, it's it's also underestimated. I mean, we we do have a, a huge prevalence of that, and we know that we're not going to be able to make these patients happy. I think the statistics is ninety eight percent of people with body dysmorphia will not find any resolution. Okay, so you so your recommendation, so if other injectors are listening to this and they suspect they may have someone with body dysmorphia, you, you recommend really just talking to the patient and trying to understand their motivation and their goals? Right, so I actually have a flow chart on that too, a decision tree of like if they pass this, then you can, you know, treat them cautiously, but if they don't pass this, then you really don't want to treat them. Mm. I recommend having three referral sources handy on a piece of paper already written out for them with kind of some of the symptoms we have to test we the official screening test um that we offer and then we just talk about it and it's talk about ethical it's completely unethical to see a patient who has this i just see this is actually exactly what i love about you though i mean it's not just about filling faces and making a bit of money and and being you know, an amazing, looking amazing on Instagram from a, from a branding point of view, you know, you genuinely care about these patients. And I think, and, and people in general, and 
with the way that our industry is moving and how rapidly everything changes and the technologies change and, and, and then add in the social media and add in the fact that we've got this whole new generation of kids coming through that have only ever known social media. So they're very different to our women and men in 40s and 50s. Uh, this needs to be done. Yeah, and I think if you can help as a clinician identify those patients and, as you say, give them a referral to somewhere where they can actually get professional support for what they're struggling with, then that's a win-win. So let's maybe move on from that's not particularly sassy. I know it's important. <laughs> it's very important, but let's maybe sort of steer the conversation back to something slightly more sassy. I want to talk about your um, your patented technique that you have, Leslie, which I read about on your website, the Arcderma Artistic Restoration Lift Technique. Now, I know I don't want you to give away any trade secrets, um, but maybe just tell us a little bit about that and kind of how your experience with design really influenced the way in which you approach using products in that unique way yeah again I was my own guinea pig um I have (laughs) this space is full of many trademarks and patent patented um I have pretty significant nasolabial folds uh and I had been filling them for many years well about three or four years before I just was like I'd rather have the folds than look like I belong in Whoville. I just did not like the look at all. (laughs) And so um, I kind of had let all my filler dissolve and I was driving to work one day on the 405 and Kelly probably remembers the 405 when you came here. So freeway was under construction and there are like these perpendicular beams holding up this wall. And it just like completely dawned on me that that was such an effective use of product. And so um, in this case, it was a beam holding up a wall, but in my case, it would be product filler holding up my face, which was a wall that's collapsing. And so um, I went home that very day from work and um, I will admit it, I'm a self-injector. I, I know it's not popular right now, but this is how I develop techniques is by injecting myself. Um, and I tried a couple of strands and it was amazing how it held up my face. And so it's a very different approach because you're putting filler on the full side of the fold, which is like filler 101 not to do. And so um, it's completely counterintuitive, I think, to most injectors. Uh, It's using the filler more like a liquid glue to kind of resuspend the tissue and and hold it into place. And then you're creating a bit of a controlled trauma as well at the same time. And so you're stimulating collagen in the vector or direction that you're actually pulling the tissue into. So it's pretty integrated as far as like the, the concept and how it all works. But, um, but talk about a game changer for fillers for me. I've never gone back to injecting conventional methods. Right, so I know you're training people all over America. How do how do us Aussies get onto this? I mean, oh, I'm doing Zoom training yet. So we just need to kind of come up with a time where I can come out there and get you trained, and then you can train for me there. Because I do have one Australian oh. training for me in Perth. Um, she's a doctor, lovely doctor out in Perth, who trains for me with Arcderma. She's amazing. Um, but I need someone on your side of the of the world, sir, your side of the country. Oh, this is exciting. Oh, Leslie, I'm in, I'm in, count me in. I wish I could see, Kelly's just turned off her camera. I think if I could see her little face right now, it'd be lit up like a light bulb. (laughs) It it actually is. I'm very, very excited. (laughs) Which leads me to the next one, Leslie, microtox, which is another technique that you've you've come up with and and you're teaching other people. And in fact, I I believe a version of this is starting to circulate around Australia. But yeah, again, not letting out trade secrets, just 
Can you, I guess, can you let uh, our listeners know how this technique is different from your standard anti-wrinkle injections? Um, so we're not affecting the muscle at all. The skeletal muscle is not affected. So it means that you can put this anti-wrinkle injection product, whatever that may be, anywhere in the body, in the face, in the nose, anywhere, um, and not affect movement or change smiles or drop anything. In fact, it tightens the skin instantly, so much so that the compression of the skin envelope, again, is tighter and it actually lifts. So you see it within minutes, like within minutes, really, by the time you're finished with one eye and you go to the other eye, if you sit them up, you can tell about a five (laughs) millimeter difference on the lids. So it's really significant there. And if you did a neck and you only did half the neck and then kind of did something else and then came back and looked at it, you can tell which side has been treated. So it's that in itself, because it's instant, is like so revolutionary and the patients are so excited about it because they've never had anything like that so it's a differentiator obviously for us because you know I developed it and I own the trademark but yeah but also just you know to kind of let them know like hey we're, we do Botox very differently here it's not going to be yeah. your standard Botox so it's, it's effective especially for people who um, want to add it on top of their regular intramuscular Botox um, where they don't want movement. But sometimes people want movement, but they want the effects of Botox. They want the tightening yeah. and the yeah. skin quality changes and all that good stuff. And so you can kind of have both. So it's about skin tightening and te- texture. Uh, what about pore size? Is it, does it? Pore size, yeah. sebum reduction, redness reduction. I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a one-for-all mm-hmm. type treatment. Okay, Kelly, you'll also need training on this, please. <laughs> <laughs> when are these borders opening up? Cut. Come on. Okay, so so we talked about probably some of the some of the best, you know, kind of you know, really interesting things that are happening with injectables, which a lot of which you're really pioneering, Leslie, which is fascinating. I want to know now on the other side of the spectrum, you know, it's not everyone's doing things the same way as you guys. Let's let's talk about some of the most ridiculous trends in injectables right now. Like one example I can think of is, say, Russian lips. Can we talk about this? Is this really a thing or have they been photoshopped? What's going on there? Well, I don't know about you, Kelly, but I see this all the time. Um, I think it's kind of that spin off the the um, Norwegian lip, I guess we could call it. Um, but it's just gone a little bit too far. Um uh, I think the other it's, one is the Fox Talks, so if you've seen that. Oh, yes. That's another one that's just like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding? Are we trying to look like we've had work done? Are we trying to look like, you know, not even human sometimes? So more like these little characters that you get on Instagram, these filters that look like deers and bunnies and whatever it is, Um that that's kind of what people are trying to do with their injectables. I, I don't know. What are you guys seeing over there? I see it a lot over here, actually. Yeah, that that uh, fox thing is just out there. And can I mean, you just explain? So let's just for people maybe not in the industry. What is fox talks? What are they trying to look like? And what are Russian lips? What are they trying to look like? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what they're trying to look okay, like. Okay, but, but what the, what do the, they look like? <laughs> It's it's trying. There's they're, they're attempting to pull their brows in this really bizarre sort of almost straight up, not spocking, oh, okay. but but straight like from the real end. lateral flare, but really really strong lateral flare. Correct. It looks like a fox, really, but it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It looks like an animal. 
<laughs> and then the Russian lip. Well, I think the Russian, the true Russian lip was where they were sort of attempting to create this sort of love heart in the middle of the lip, almost like a Russian doll or, or like a doll, which, you know, is a bit concerning to start with. But then it sort of took on its own life and it was almost like you'd pulled the lips at the Cupid's bow, but then another, a second Cupid's bow sort of oh. la more laterally on the lip. And uh, I mean, guys, you just, if you don't, if you haven't heard of just it, Google, Google it, it because I'm yeah. just Googling it now and I'm like, what on what? earth? People want to look like this? And do you know, I, I, I said before, you know, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm, and I'm praying that I think that the industry is moving in this sort of beautiful natural direction because we all sort of now know that we want to look our best, but the best version of us is a natural, yeah. natural way. But then you see these things popping up on Instagram and you're like, oh, my and God, no all, the, people, all the good work I've done. Yeah, no wonder people get scared off injectables when this sort of stuff starts doing the rounds on social media. Like anything else, you know, unless it's sensationalized, people aren't going to pay attention to it. So you can True. put some great before and afters, and I do this. Kelly, you do too. Your, your before and afters, we put up real-looking people, natural-looking results, and then you don't get a whole lot of attention on it. But you just have to, mm. you have to be okay with that because are we on Instagram to get attention and to get likes and to get shares and all that stuff and get all that you know, stuff that crazy lips like that look get, or are we on Instagram to get clients and patients that see our work and what it actually looks like? Leah, let's get real. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. think any of my friends want to look like blow up dolls. You know, we often people don't want to know, don't want others to know they've had work done, which is totally fine. Yeah. So one last question, I think, before we wrap everything up then, given given that we have been speaking about trends and where we've gone and where we've come. So, Leslie, you know, you've you've obviously seen it go through so many changes and I love how you spoke about how you it was all just trial and error back in the day and, and I think, well, maybe that's where it kind of may, might have got a bit of a bad, bad name right from the start. You know, people always wonder why. They talk about uh, anti-wrinkle injections and, oh, my God, you don't, you wouldn't want to do that. But maybe it's because 20 years ago when everyone was just having a crack, <laughs> you did get the, the droopy brows and the, you know, the, the joker smile because you've injected the wrong muscle and all sorts of funny stuff. So, but where do you think we're heading? You know, what, what's going to be the next big thing in our industry, in your opinion? I mean... I think this is kind of where it is almost in my practice, but I'm seeing it starting to happen in other people's practices is just this idea of a global change, a pan facial. They're actually surgical candidates that are coming to us because they don't want surgery, but they need a surgical outcome. And that can happen with the right number of products and the right technique and the right combination of therapies. And I think that, um, People are going to stop looking at Botox and filler as like frown lines and lips, and they're going to think of it as a global change, like they used to think of surgery, like, oh, I need to go have a facelift now. Like that was kind of like the final step. I'm kind of seeing that happening now, especially in my trainings. You know, we're trying to work with accounts to get them to get to this idea of pan facial rejuvenation where you maybe you come to a point in your 50s and you're like instead of saying okay I guess it's time for a facelift they say oh I guess it's time to go to injectability to get my pan facial rejuvenation yeah. you know and so it could be synonymous like that um, surgeons are seeing a big decrease in facelifts and people are going more towards injectables but not just to be spot treating so when we spot treat 
um, we're really not looking natural. If you just treat one or two areas, it looks very obvious you've had treatment. But if you take those same amounts or even a, probably more and kind of treat the global um, changes of aging, then you're going to look much more natural and it's going to look more um, age appropriate for you. I think that's something that the overarching message of this episode, this discussion with you guys is that it's, it's individualized and, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do for a patient is say no or help steer them towards a more appropriate treatment. Um, okay, so maybe now um, let's get real sassy before we end. Um, we have, so Leslie, you may not be aware, but we do have this thing on Skin and Sass called the Sassy Minute, where we ask our guests some questions that they haven't had time to prepare for. Um, and it really is just, you know, first thing that comes to your head, no wrong answers. Um, so I'll ask a couple of questions. Um, here we go. Let's just get into it. If you, Leslie, could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice on skincare or anti-aging, what would it be? Oh, goodness. Okay. I mean, I feel so fortunate that I fell into this at 29. So I actually mm -hmm. have been using Botox since I was 29. And um, it's going to sound crazy, but I love it when the young girls come in for Botox and I want to talk to them about it in the beginning of like, this is not for you to look like someone else or to look like a Kardashian, but for you to really take care of your skin, like almost as a skincare treatment, the Botox and even like a little bit of filler when you get to that point where there's some crepiness. But, um, I mean, I was young and I started Botox at 29, so I can't even go, I guess I could it wasn't even around earlier than that, but, um, and <laughs> you guys can't see me, um, because it's a podcast, but I'm a redhead. So I'm super fair. So I never spent a lot of time in the sun. Cause I know that's a standard answer for people. Mm -hmm. My kids, boy, they grew up with a mom that like followed them around, chased them around with sunscreen every minute <laughs> of the day, because I know how important that is. Um, I've just seen it in my patients and, and in my family members who didn't wear it. Uh, it's a huge change. So, I mean, I guess those two things, I don't know. I can't think of anything sassy. I'm sorry. I'm not no, very sassy. Well, I think it's, I think it's great that you're just so happy with where you're at that you don't even need to. I mean, maybe you could go back and tell yourself your life <laughs> lessons, but nothing skin, nothing skin related. That's great. Um, okay. So I'm sure you can think of something for this one, Leslie, and we've sort of touched on uh, this a little bit already, but can you think of like, what's one of the most bizarre requests you've had from a client? Wow. That's so tough. I'm trying to, there's like 15 <laughs> people in my head right now. I mean, okay, I had, so, so not, not the Fox talks or the okay, Russian lips. No, no. I had a patient who was moving to Dubai who had severe hyperhidrosis of the feet, like I was injecting her feet with anti-wrinkle, but this case it was anti-sweat tops, <laughs> and there was a puddle on the floor underneath her. I had to get a towel and mop it up. That's how bad it was, and she was wow. moving to wow. Dubai, and I felt so bad for her because she couldn't wear sandals because she would slip and fall. So oh it, was, it was very intense, and I, I just felt like, you know what, this is a therapeutic use if I ever saw one. Um, wow. But it was a game changer for her. Interesting. I mean, for those that don't know, hyperhidrosis is just the clinical name for excessive sweating, and it is a, 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 another way in which you can use Botox. So 
Not, not, I've never heard of it on the feet before though. But it sounds like hopefully it will give them a better quality of life. <laughs> um, okay, so these ones are probably a bit easier, I think, Leslie. Sorry, I did give you a couple of hard ones there. Quick fire multiple choice. So you just pick one. So I'll say two options and you just pick one, assuming you could only have one of these products or treatments or whatever the case may be for the rest of your life. You ready? Here we go. I think this one's going to be tricky. Lipstick or foundation? Lipstick. Yeah. I knew you'd choose that. (laughs) I know. I I just saw on your Instagram a beautiful picture of some lipstick, some Gucci lipstick, and I thought this one would be easy for her. Um, okay, next one. Uh, sunscreen or deodorant? Sunscreen. Yeah, that is a popular choice. I don't. I don't think any of us have chosen the deodorant. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think we've had one who chose deodorant. They said they'd just stay inside the whole. Oh, life. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but then they don't need to worry um, about smelling because they're not seeing anyone anyway. So what? Do yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, next one. Shampoo or conditioner? conditioner actually mm-hmm. yeah Andy would agree with that she's yeah. not a big shampoo she doesn't wash her hair <laughs> I don't I wash my hair with conditioner because I have curly hair so <laughs> when you were talking about um, your earlier self I was thinking to myself of your Australian gal uh, Nicole Kidman she is the first person in my life that made red-headed curly-haired people popular so I've, I have much to be thankful for her for okay next one hairdresser or nail salon uh, hairdresser for sure yeah. yeah that's a popular choice among nurses <laughs> I think we can do a lot ourselves and uh but hair is one of those things that's a little bit more difficult I just hate doing my own hair I if I could have someone blow dry my hair every second day I would be a happy happy woman yeah I really would <laughs> <laughs> it's probably gonna happen soon <laughs> oh well yeah uh this is Kelly's addition to these questions, so you can blame her for this one. Here we go. <laughs> never gain weight or never gain wrinkles? Ooh. Oh, gosh. I'd have to go with the weight. Just was someone yes. who struggled with my weight my whole life, I think. but And we can fix our wrinkles. We can't, you know, it's much harder to fix the weight. <laughs> I still want to do an episode on lipo. I need to, I need to understand what my options are. <laughs> COVID's not been kind. <laughs> Okay, last one, last one. Um, Botox or fillers? Botox. I can do. Yeah, me too. I, I think I can do anything with Botox, including make things look fuller and lifted. So I, yes. I think I could do it both ways with that's, Botox. That is so amazing. I have learned so much, and I, I just, yeah, I, I can't next, wait. To next time she more. visits. She's just going to be like, all right, Kelly, get it out. Let's try everything. Yeah, everything. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. We're going to try all the things. Thank you so much, Leslie, for joining us. You have been amazing. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, no. Thank you for being our first international guest. And honestly, when I was thinking about who, you were the very first and the only to come to mind because I was like, we have to get Leslie on here. So thank you. Thank you. That's, that's so sweet. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you again so much, Leslie Fletcher from Injectability Clinic, all the way from the US for joining us today on Skin and Sass about injectables and then and now what's changed over the last 20 years. And it was an amazing discussion. Thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Andy and Kelly as well. What a a fun time. I love this. This is so much fun. Okay, let's take a photo. (laughs) 